0: Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Welcome to Tasting Anarchy. I'm your host, Jacob Lindsay, and as always, I'm joined by...
1: Mason Joseph.
0: And today we have a very special guest. We've talked about him a bunch of times on the show because I've been out to his vineyard. And uh, Ricky, say hi. Hey.
2: Hey. How's it going? Thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: All right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's been it's been a, a long time in the making. Uh, so we definitely. We, yeah. So I, I basically I went out there. I guess it was what was it April? That April.
2: April yeah. yeah. I think I think you were there the first weekend, right? So I was, that's like, right. The first weekend in April.
0: Yeah, that's right. I was the first internet person. Then I guess there was other internet people that came out uh, the, the the next weekend. Yeah. Yep. And yep. yeah,
2: yeah several.
0: And. Well, I and I've been following you guys on Instagram and just on your on your blog for a long time. Uh but you have Altamarfa and it's a new vineyard in the Davis Mountain AVA of Texas.
2: Mhm. One of mm-hmm. like
0: what what like 3 3 that are out there or 2 that are out there?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say all the time because there are past vineyards that no longer exist and then there's I found there's another vineyard that I found out about last week that just harvested its first uh, vintage of grapes like a few days ago. So didn't know about that, but that's cool. More more is better.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. And um, I I, I kind of want to get into like what your vision of Alta Marfa is, but before that, I just kind of you know you and I are from roughly the same part of California. And Mm -hmm. is that kind of just being from that part of the, of the world in general, is that what got you into wine or did you have like a different path?
2: Um, it, it, it probably wouldn't be true to say that had nothing to do with it, but I, I grew up in Sonoma County, um, and never drank wine. My parents were not involved in the wine industry at all. Uh, it's a pretty rural place. So there's vineyards everywhere. So I, I was aware that that was a thing, but I, I was not involved in any way at that point. Um, I really started getting into wine just at the three bottles for $10 level at, from like Rite Aid or something. Right? <laughs> uh, um, so out of practicality, it's a cheap alcohol form. Um, and then just kind of escalated from there, I guess.
0: Okay, well, I mean, that, that sounds good. So, like, what what was your path? Because, I mean, you went from your your current career doesn't really have anything to do with winemaking or growing grapes. So, how did you go from just basically buying buying it at Rite Aid, or you know, that's and that's basically where Mason and I started, um, mm-hmm. just uh, buying stuff at Rite Aid. How do you go from there to I mean, I see the, the posts on Instagram all the time, like to fine wine and or rare wine appreciation, or like kind of unusual wines. I see sometimes that you got. Um, like, how do you go from, you know, what is it? What is it, two buck chuck? Is that? Is that? The yeah, one? yeah. How do you go from two buck chuck <laughs> or, or to, equivalent? Yeah, yeah. To to like good wine, and then wanting to make wine, and wanting to have a vineyard.
2: Well, for, uh, for me, it's definitely not been a, a direct path. It 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 kind of went from starting to drink wine casually to then being more and more interested in wine uh, sort of in a culinary sense, just sort of like wanting variety and and having a job for the first time and having some money to spend on wine and to get that variety. Um, But then I think it kind of took a different turn and, and was really influenced by wanting to not, work in an office my whole life
0: mm-hmm.
2: and wanting wanting to, to do something else and something that I was more in control of. Um, and I think maybe that's where the living growing up in Sonoma County influence came and in, was just the appreciation for kind of living in a rural place and wanting to maybe do that in the future. Um, and I started to see planting a vineyard and making wine as a way to do that. And okay. for, I would say at first it was kind of like, oh, maybe I'll do that eventually, you know, at some point that would be fun to do, and then at some point then it was just like, well, why don't I just do it now? That, <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that seems makes sense. That better than waiting. So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I mean, that that makes total sense. And you guys have a have a really cool location, but it's kind of a kind of an unusual location too, like Marfa, the Marfa area, you know, Davis mountain region is really out there in kind of the middle of nowhere in Texas. How ha- do you, fig- how <laughs> do you figure out that that was the, that was the place for you?
2: Um, well, I, it kind of goes in, in two parts. One was deciding, oh, I want to, you know, maybe I can make wine. I'm, I went to college for chemical engineering and, had made some beer at home and wine at home as just kind of fun science experiment type things. And then kind of progressed to maybe I could be a winemaker. Um, and then immediately realizing that I don't I, I don't like doing what other people tell me to do a huge amount. <laughs> um, so it was like, well I should probably, you know, start my own business to do it. And then being from California, I was like, oh, so what would that cost? How would I do that? And then just immediately realizing that that would cost way too much money in California.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and since moving to Texas, you know, I'd been somewhat aware of the growing wine industry in Texas. Um, not a whole lot at that, at that point, at the time this was happening, but somewhat. And it's kind of, you know, a growing industry and mm. it, there's lots of room for new people and, and people are very collaborative and kind of there's, it's a nice community, um, to, okay, if I'm going to do this in Texas where Texas is really hot. So I Googled where is the coolest weather in Texas in the summer and the Davis mountains are that place. Uh, despite being so far South, we're about 60 miles from the border with Mexico in West Texas, but the altitude—our vineyards at fifty-four hundred feet—so um, that keeps things cool and dry in the summer, and the winters are fairly temperate. Also, so mm-hmm. it's it's really good climate for growing grapes, um, and that's and then yeah, it was just I, I had I'd been to Marfa once before just to see Marfa, which is a, its own weird and magical place, um, and going out there to look with the idea of, of planting a vineyard out there was kind of the second time I went and it, it, it worked. It was great. I immediately on going out there on that trip, thought it was a great idea.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, that actually, I mean, just me going down there, I'd never been to that part of Texas either and didn't realize it existed. And yeah, when, and, and when I, when I was out there seeing it, I was like, this is a gorgeous property. Like I would live mm-hmm. out here. And yeah, and like, I'm, I'm from, I'm from the foothills in California from the Sierra Nevada foothills. And, uh, and I was like, it's not, it's not like that, but I've, I've kind of had the same sort of like, well, let me see what property's like in this part of California. And maybe I'll do something like a vineyard or or something like that. And same, same thing where I'm just like, oh, there's just no way I could afford this. And and then the taxes on top of it, I I just can't, I I would never be, I'd love to be there, but (laughs) I can't afford it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Or it's and it's also kind of like I think that's initially why it was like, Well, I can't afford this, so maybe I'll do this someday when I could afford it. Yeah. But then it was kind of like, Well, why don't I just do it here and do it now and I don't have to wait and I don't have to go do another job to make a bunch of money that I don't want to do. So
0: Yeah, well and I was also looking into this and it may you know, it looks to me like with with the altitude and you got the nice diurnal temperatures and all that sort of stuff, this is gonna be a great place for very good wine. And that sort of leads me into the question: Is what are you planting, and what are you kind of counting on being making your uh, <coughs> making the good wine for you in in that uh, location?
2: Um, yeah. So we planted um, over bet- between twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen um, about six thousand vines, about ninety percent of which are Cabernet Sauvignon, and a oh, say in a minute why why we kind of went with mostly that but then we also planted about 25 i can never remember the actual number so i say 25 but something like that uh italian southern spain southern france kind of like warm dry place varieties some of which i know more about than others so those are all definitely experiments we planted like most of those 25 vines of each of them okay um, not with the idea of making a wine out of each one, but th- with the idea of just seeing how each of those varieties does viticulturally in terms of how well it deals with our particular set of circumstances in terms of challenges with farming. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
2: but I guess the, so the reason for the Cabernet Sauvignon was, uh, our, our growing season is kind of sandwiched between at the beginning, there's a a pretty larger risk for frost in the spring because of the altitude. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted something that was, that budded late relatively at least. Um, and then although it's, it's Davis mountains are in the middle of the Chihuahuan desert, it's very dry, very arid. We get average of 15 inches a year of rain. All of that comes during the growing season. So it's, it's all pretty much June, July, August, September. Um, and, uh, this, this may lead into more discussion, different, okay. different direction. But what, one thing I definitely wanted, wanted to do from the beginning is not use a lot of pesticides, herbicides, that, chemical that, agriculture kind of stuff.
0: <laughs> that definitely leads into other questions I had.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so part of that was, uh, something that happens when you have grapes hanging on the vine and you're getting rained on all the time is potential for powdery mildew and other fungal issues. Um, Cabernet Sauvignon has really loose grape clusters. So one thing we did have in our, our kind of favor was it's quite windy pretty much the whole year. There's always wind and with loose clusters, it's kind of, okay, if it rains, we can at least dry things out pretty quickly and and prevent some of that. So that, that was kind of the reason for that. The other reason is Cabernet Sauvignon buds late. so.
0: And I, from what I remember, you had, you had a couple of different clonal varieties of Cabernet Sauvignon. It, yeah. Is, are you just, th- is that an experiment or is that just for blending, yes. blending purposes yeah, or. It,
2: it's kind of like, you know, there were two, I think we got two or three clones at this point on two different rootstocks, and kind of on paper with the information I had, it, they, they could all be as good as the next. So, just mix it up a little bit and get a little variety was kind of what I was thinking
0: yeah and for, for the listeners um just kind of in in general uh clones you know the, the way that the viticulture is done these, these days is that is you use a clone of a particular type of um you know Cabernet Sauvignon may have a bunch of different clones and each clone has a different characteristic that will Make it easier, or you know, easier or harder, I guess, it depends on the situation too. But more suited to the environment, more suited to what you're looking for, flavor wise, and and um, so you can. But with such a new area like Davis Mountains, you, you don't really know what's going to grow there. Nobody's really been breeding grapes for that region.
2: So exactly, yeah, you- exactly. So it's kind of a kind of a crapshoot. But yeah, like you said, each clone is a is a genetic selection for certain phenotypes. So kind of like one might be selected for high yield. One might be selected for high quality. One might be selected for drought resistance or disease resistance or, or whatever. But all the ones I chose were kind of lower yielding, looser clusters, high quality. Um, but other than that, it's, it's hard to say without seeing them in a specific site, which like you said, we don't really have any data for that. So.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I know there was, there was the one, uh, winery that was kind of down the street from you well down the dirt road from you guys and uh but that was that was kind of they're kind of looking at it for a they have a different goal than what you have and and that kind of gets into the the other question which which sort of leads into what you were talking about with the minimal use of pesticides is um what are what is kind of the the wine quality you're looking for like you've got one or two, you know, competitors, I guess, or not even competitors, but just people that are in your region
2: um, that are collaborating with you. trained up yeah. into like a little yeah. tree. Yeah. Um, it is, there's a few reasons. One is you don't have to pay for all the wire and the metal posts and all this stuff. So cost savings was, was a huge part of that. The other <laughs> right. one is uh, we didn't – terraform the property at all we didn't we didn't kind of bulldoze and smooth everything out and flatten everything out and as you know after visiting the the hillside that the vineyard is on is in certain areas very steep yeah in certain areas not as much but very rocky has kind of protruding boulders in some areas so lining up all the posts and the wire with the precision necessary to make that work would have been really difficult (laughs) So that was another reason not to do it, and then um, another reason is that the current kind of in vogue trellis system, vertical shoot positioning, or VSP, is kind of what it's referred to as, is really was really designed to make a grapevine into the a perfect photosynthesizing machine. It's designed to maximize photosynthesis mm-hmm. by exposing all of the shoot to equal amount of sun uh, in order to kind of ripen the grapes as fast and robustly as possible. And if you're in a place like a cold climate or a place that's not sunny all the time like we are, that might be more cloudy or coastal or something like that, that can be important because if the grapes don't ripen, you can't really make wine. But being further south than basically every wine region in the Northern Hemisphere we don't have that problem. We have right. unlimited sun, so I, I what I went with with the the bush vines um, or the head trained vines is something you typically see in you know southern Italy, Sicily, Spain, basically places that are more like our situation where you have so much sun that you in a lot of cases you actually want to slow down ripening. Right. You, you want you you would prefer less efficient. F- photosynthesis so because yeah. you don't want the grapes to kind of ripen so fast that they just kind of become tasteless sugar bombs yeah that well, just end up with like high high, high uh, alcohol wine with no acid in it
0: that's 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 kind of what i was i was thinking about too because the th- this makes a lot of sense to me is that you know I, I i get this in the wine world in general where people are always kind of poo-pooing texas wine in general because it's it's so hot here and and yeah people are harvesting in, you know, early August and, um, now granted, <laughs> yeah, granddad,
2: we, we harvested this year at a different vineyard on July 6th. Yeah. Which, which <laughs> was, which is before Verasion starts in California in most cases. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, and that's, that's, that, wa- that's kind of seems wild or, or like crazy or whatever. Like, and, but when I was out, uh, I, I went and harvested with, with Rowdy Bolin who you introduced me to, uh, via Instagram and, mm-hmm. uh, and he, Harvested kind of a little bit later in August, but it was kind of the same deal. Is that they're harvesting early, and and you know California is not even anywhere near harvest. And um, but he makes very good wine, so it, it is a different style a lot of times, but it is very different wine. But one of the things that I've read about, and I, and I wanted to talk to you about this. I talked to Rowdy a little bit about it. Was um, I've read about that one of the one of the things that happened when they were learning how to cultivate wine, I guess better. Was that they learned that if they had it kind of lower to the ground, the heat from the ground would help ripen the grapes. And when you're in places like France or, um, you know, actually southern England, places like that, that's important. But here in Texas, I I was always wondering, like, why didn't they just make it higher? And then you wouldn't have the heat from the ground. Do do you know anything about that, or is that just me picking up like random things and going, like, well, why don't they just make it taller?
2: Yeah. So that. That's a that's a, v- a complicated issue. There's there's two things involved generally with how high or low the vines are in the f- in the fruit zone, meaning where the grapes are going to hang, how high off the ground. Um, one thing is def- so definitely in in certain places, like in Germany, for example, where they have slate soils, and it, G- Germany is essentially the f- the coldest, uh, like the Mosul Valley, specifically, it's kind of the coldest mainstream wine-growing region in the world, and they they struggle every year to get the grapes to ripen. Now, now because of climate change, that's kind of actually changing. But uh-huh. before, it was like you know you you could have fully ripe grapes that only were eight percent. The wine only became eight percent alcohol wine because they just mm-hmm. never got any sugar because it was so cold there. Um, so what they would do is definitely have, have the grapes as close to the ground as possible to kind of – the black slate soils would soak up solar energy and, and then radiate it back upwards towards the grapes. Um, so that's, that's definitely a thing. You had it exactly right. There's okay. other things involved though, which one, – one of which is um, when we're talking about frost in the spring particularly – being higher can be better because if you have a kind of thermal inversion situation happening, the coldest air will be closest to the ground. Mm-hmm. So you, you, and, and although it's, there is a temperature gradient, like in the other situation, it, it's not really related because one you're having to deal with, you wanting more heat and the other one, you also want it to be warmer, but it's a different time of year. So it's kind of a different situation. So that, that's a situation i've i've gone back and forth with is wanting to get the grapes a little higher um in order to maybe mitigate some of the frost risk okay um but another thing is and this again it it can be different when you have the the head trained bush vines or you have trellising is is wind because in a lot of places where it's very hot and it's deserty they have wind issues like in yeah. south africa this is a big thing so they also have the vines close to the ground so they're not just blowing in the wind and getting damaged
0: hmm. that makes um, that makes a lot of sense because actually when i was out there like i set up my tent well yeah. i i had, two, I, had <laughs> I had two problems that night one is i didn't realize how cold it was going to get at night and i forgot to put on my three season flap and so my tent was freezing and then uh, the other thing was wind. I didn't realize how windy it got at night. And um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of breezy during the day, but at night it was just these like just gusts of wind and shaking my tent wake. And it was, it was, it was. if anybody goes out to help, uh, help Ricky harvest next time or help him plant more grapes or anything like that, just, just keep <laughs> that in mind when you're camping is that there's a lot of wind.
2: <laughs> there's a lot of wind. That's yeah. We have an abundance of wind, wind and sun.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but it, but also beautiful location and mm-hmm. uh, really great side of the hill and all that. Um, but kind of also to sort of pull this back into uh, the same sort of same vein is I, I've I've uh, interviewed some biodynamic wine producers and some organic wine producers. You, you you mentioned that you wanted to use as as you know as little pesticide as possible. Is this because you want to fully express the terroir of your location or is it just in in general that's the trend, and so the, this is marketable, or is there another reason that that I'm not thinking? About?
2: Um, so my my reasoning is based on I would say two, two things. One one is, and and I prob- probably foremost is wine quality.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, my my favorite wine to drink come from Vineyards that are farmed that way, Um, right? um, And there's there's a lot of, I think, kind of scientific biological reasons for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But the main one is I think grapevines, like many plants, require help in order to kind of have maximum health of the vines. They require soil microbial life in order to uptake nutrients and have better you know this uh, healthier soil and do all that stuff and that is all affected like the soil microbial life is affected by spraying herbicides and, and also if you're spraying herbicides you don't have organic matter growing on the surface of your vineyard meaning you won't have organic matter in the soil which is what the microbes eat so they wouldn't be there anyway right but basically Typically, I would say that if you take the polar opposites of this is one, just an ecosystem. You know, you have uh, what people would call weeds and I, I would probably call grass in <laughs> right. between the vines. Um, and, and, and a diversity of plants, which brings a diversity of insects and various other things. You kind of have this rich, diverse ecosystem. On the other side, you know, you'll see vineyards that just have – bare soil on the bottom uh, of the vines so just dirt grapevines, and that's it so in that vineyard you have no microbial life in the soil you have no plants and you have no insects mm-hmm. um, and the analogy to this is that i think people are more familiar with is kind of the situation of after you take antibiotics or something and your and your system is kind of ripe for new colonizers in terms of bacteria right is is that can be a dangerous situation it's kind of like in hospitals when they have you know uh antibiotic resistant bacteria that's that's the situation you're breeding in your vineyard is is if you eliminate everything that's there nature likes to fill empty spaces and it Mm -hmm. and it will so whether that be fungal disease or Soil nematodes or grasshoppers that are going to eat the vine, something like that. Having a completely vacant s- space, nature is going to try to fill that with something. And it's probably not something that you want in the vineyard. But by cultivating a diverse system within the vineyard already, it makes it much more difficult for something to really get out of control and, and do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense.
0: No, that makes that makes total sense, and that's one of the things that I spoke to um, Craig Camp at Troon Vineyard in in the Applegate Valley in Oregon. He does a biody- biodynamic vineyard, and that, that was a very similar response that he had. And he's he said, "Look, you know, well, well first of all, if you want expression of terroir, part of that is the so- soil microbial, and um, they're, they're going." Yeah, to... Yeah, I would argue with that.
2: You think that so? Other than weather, that's it. That's all of it. Oh, it's really? The- there's nothing else other than weather and soil microbes. Interesting. Okay. And there, and I think it. The other stuff comes into what feeds soil microbes is the the grass and the carbon and sources okay. that are feeding the soil. So so it's all involved. But but yeah, I would say it's the most important thing.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. Because I've also I've also interviewed you know viticulturists who have the you know, spray and spray, basically just spray and you have, just have an incredibly, you know, quote unquote clean vineyard and yeah. they do produce good wine. Uh, but yeah, it, it does. Yeah, no, it, it, it looks it's not weird. that you
2: can't make good wine that way. It's just, it, there's a lot of things involved. Another, another part of it is that if if you commit to a, a system where you're going to spray herbicide to get rid of all everything else, you know, plant wise, then, yeah. then your vines and you're going to spray, pesticides to get rid of all the insects you have to someone has to go around and do all that spraying yeah and you have to buy all those chemicals so there's like a there's a cost element and a labor element and then there you kind of get into the situation also of if you're a small operation you're spending all of these toxic chemicals yourself right which i was not interested in Being in that kind of contact with those chemicals, yeah, or you're paying someone else to do it, which, you know, depending on what you're thinking, is is uh, ethical. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, that makes. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, kind of on the same token, and Mason, you know break in here with any questions that you have or anything. Cause I, I have, I have 8 million questions. I, I, I just, I just got I, back from a nine hour car ride. And the entire time I was going like, what do I want to ask Ricky? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: and, and that's the thing is like, I, I haven't interrupted really because there's just so much interesting. Like every time I have like a little bit of an offshoot, like Ricky says something else that I'm like, Oh, what's this about? Yeah, I want to whatever I was thinking doesn't matter. Um, there was one thing and I'll kill me for the rest of the night um, that you said, Ricky, and used a term that I just didn't know uh, like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and I was like, okay. wait a minute. And I, I'll have to like I'll go back and listen to the episode at some point and I'll look it up from there. But it was one of those like I, I'll say highfalutin, but it wasn't that. But it was like a kind of scientific term you kind of said. And I was just like, what? that mean and then you <laughs> stuff that was interesting i was like well i'm just gonna have to listen later and yeah. figure it out
2: what, what was the term what, i what, what,
1: i had two can... beers before this glass of wine i just had so i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we were officially on vacation in my house uh this week so it was kind of a sounds great hey let's enjoy this and then now i'm kind of going like i could have gone to like Davis Mountain area in Texas and gone camping. This place is oh, yeah. like, so much cool, so cool and nice temperature.
0: Well, I mean, you got to come out next time, Mason, because it it is Definitely. a really cool place. And actually, yeah. and, and you and your wife like New Mexico. This is way better than New Mexico. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the things, one of the things I wanted to um, kind of touch basically on. Basically, old Mexico. No. Yeah. That, well, yeah. It, it is. It is basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, But one of the things that, you know, in this sort of integrated pest management system is have you looked into putting up like uh, bat houses or, um, you know, places where like owls can stay? I I don't know what the wildlife is like in that region, but uh, I mean, there's actually this kind of leads to several things is like, what is the most challenging uh, pest that you're going to have to deal with? And, what are your methods for trying to deal with those so it seems like weather is is one of the main concerns but that's that's a concern for all viticulturists um but also like rowdy for example one of his big problems is birds they come and they eat all of his grapes uh what are what are going to be your most challenges in in that area there's a lot of different i saw you had high fences there so but i think that's mostly for like mountain lions and that kind of thing but like what are other things that you have to deal with out there
2: <laughs> the, the the high fence did not succeed in keeping a mountain lion out of the vineyard already so oh <laughs> yeah wouldn't say it's 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 for that uh the high fence is for deer basically oh, okay. um and m- once once the leaves of grapevines are, are mature deer really won't eat them but during kind of like budding time deer will come and just like eat all eat everything um which is not good but at least the fence works to keep them out I was it, gonna say,
1: have unless
2: you considered leave- venison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> unless option. you leave the gate open, and then it turns into a deer corral, which has happened a few times. <laughs> but I, I think what you said is correct. Is weather is what I'm worried about the most long term, because it's the thing that you can do the least to solve your problems with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hail, hail is is a is a thing that is right. really hard to deal with. You know, there, there are possibilities of kind of using nets to protect from hail and different things, but the cost of that is really high. But anyway, weather is definitely the number one thing. Um, and then as far as like protecting grapes themselves, birds will be an issue to some degree uh, as they are pretty much everywhere. but that's uh, not, not solvable hundred percent, but using you can use bird nets over the grapevines that mm-hmm. mostly solves that problem. Okay. Um, we, we read,
0: we actually but, did recently, we had an article about that people were using falconry,
2: like to get yes, somebody to come in and like, I was going to say, I was going to say that oh, next. Yeah. I think oh. that, that's a really cool thing that I would love to learn more about. I, I read an article in the Southwest airlines magazine about falconry recently, somewhat recently. Um, and that seems like a really cool thing. Um, I know that the one lady that we were reading about I think we actually were like two
0: episodes ago or mm-hmm. I guess it would actually, it'll be the previous episode of this episode um, we did with our friend who, who goes by bird online. And so we did all bird articles in relation to wine. And um, it, this, this lady lives in, I think you're either Arizona or New Mexico, but you know, my boss used to do falconry and apparently it's, it's very rewarding because it's a lot of fun, but it, it, it takes a discipline and and time, a lot of time. But it yeah. like the idea though to use a falcon to keep birds away rather than bird nets, which seems like you know I used to use bird nets in my garden in my backyard, and I always felt really bad because birds would get stuck in it, and then I'd have oh that, yeah, that's I'd, definitely uh, an issue. Yeah, I, I'd go out there and they'd be there'd be all these dead like chickadees and things like that, and I'd be like oh man, like I, I didn't want these guys to die. I just wanted them to stay off my fruit. <laughs> so yeah.
2: But then again, using falcons you know they're definitely gonna die. So. <laughs>
0: that's true. But at least it's
1: quite at least <laughs> actually, it's quite <laughs> the one we read about, they they actually didn't actually hit the birds. They their mere presence and they would do like a kind of a attack run, but act not actually attack and oh, then that's they would right. come back for a reward. So they didn't actually attack the like kill the bird other birds.
2: Oh uh, yeah. Oh interesting. Yeah, yeah I, mean,
1: I
0: guess yeah, I, they were I, trained I, to swoop and then they would come back to get their food or whatever.
2: Interesting, very interesting. Yeah, I think I think Falconry could definitely it seems like a, an option for that. There's also some new stuff with these kind of like laser machines that are supposed to be effective, but I think are very expensive. Oh, okay. Um, the other thing is,
1: come on, you're an engineer. You're a raspberry <laughs> Pi, yeah. laser pointer. You know, if you can yeah. take an airline <laughs> pilot out with a laser pointer, you can take
0: these dumb birds out. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe um, I should get into that. I could I could program a laser pointer.
1: I think so. <laughs> well, so like I I think my biggest question in the end is like it, once you've produced a crop and you and you're ready to you know go forward, mm-hmm. a, it seems like a lot of people who own vineyards don't actually produce their own wine. Like they don't go for like you know they either sell it off. They have they bring somebody in to make it. Like are you planning to? or and have you you know you did say you'd you know done it in college have chemical engineering degrees you know know the science behind it, but are you going to look into kind of contracting somebody else to do that or is that kind of the next goal once that you have a a crop to do it
2: with so the plan since the beginning was is is Katie and I will make make the wine ourselves that that was that actually was. The, the goal before the Growing the Grapes was um, the Growing the Grapes ourselves kind of came out of, I don't really trust other people to do it
3: yeah.
2: um, <laughs> the, way, the, way, the way I want, and that would be different in other places, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but in, in a not very established place like Texas, it, yeah. it, it, there's, a, there's a shortage of high-quality grapes in Texas right. currently. I don't think anyone would dispute that.
0: No, I, I think um, I think that's that's widely known. There's a few people um I mean you've introduced me to yeah. at least one and that that are making and that's their goal is to make high quality oh, grapes. Yeah. But there's, no, there, there's, there's there's a lot
2: there's of there's a lot of great grape growers in Texas yeah. already but but there's not enough for all the people who right, would want right. to buy those grapes. Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. it's basically they grow for their own
1: purposes and then there's a few that hit the market and those are just snatched up immediately yeah. at prices. Exactly. That, you know, exactly. Right. It's I mean, prohibitive. Yeah
0: and, yeah. and I've, I've had so much Texas wine too. Like there's very good Texas wine and there's also just some not great Texas wine that I, yeah. you, Mason, you and I've talked about it before where I like, I'll get on the call and I'm like, I don't really want to review this cause I don't like giving people bad reviews. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And, and that's the, you know, I appreciate him not doing that cause I'm,
0: you know, I live in Virginia.
1: Um, so we have a very long tradition of winemaking, but not good winemaking, and it's really kind of starting to turn the corner here because they're finally, you know, they we we deal with more humidity than anything. Um, we do have yeah. frost, and things like that, but um, not as bad as other places because the the diurnal temperature change isn't so high, uh, mainly because of the humidity a lot of the time, but like we deal with mainly hum- humidity problems. So they're finally like, Oh, you know, we're, we're figuring it out. But like, I also like Jacob's former boss, my current boss, he kind of always points out like when he goes into a place, like he's the guy who asks to speak to the manager. Cause he's like, look, if no one tells you you're doing bad, how are you going to know? How are,
2: how are, yeah. are you going to know? Yeah. You know, especially yeah, exactly. cause it's like, everybody
1: loves the smell of their own farts. You're like, Oh, this is great wine. You're, and you know, the two people sitting next to you are like,
2: this is uh, vinegar. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job, man. But can you, can you take it out a little earlier next time? Yeah.
2: Yeah, like, yeah exactly. But go, I mean, going back to your original question, we, we'll definitely make the wine ourselves. Um, And we got a chance this year 2019 after planting to purchase a small amount of grapes from a friend's vineyard um dan mclaughlin who has rock clay vineyards in the hill country in mason county and we um we got a chance to buy some tempranillo and we made a rosé and we made a red wine that uh, we're gonna bottle the rosé here in in another couple weeks which i'm super excited about um so we got to really do the you know do the whole process for the first time on a commercial scale like i said yeah before it's kind of been I- experimental and three and theoretical whereas this time was was kind of the real the real thing um and i personally r- really like that wine i think i think people will uh-huh. like it um and that'll be available for a very small group of people unfortunately to try Pretty soon, <laughs> yeah. um, we made about ten cases, so oh, there's nice. there's almost none of it, but right, but got to start somewhere. Well, yeah, uh, and you, then the red wine yeah. will be kind of next year, but but yeah, so it, it's been awesome to be able to do this before the grapes from our vineyard are are kind of online to to start learning and doing all that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's I think that's important too for you guys just kind of to get your you know toes in the water or whatever and. And learn any sort of like, I guess like hangups that might happen that, that you didn't encounter before, because I mean, you're, you know, I, when, when are your vines going to be mature and, and you're ready to do a harvest? You're, did you say 2022?
2: Yeah, I, I, that's my best guess at this point. Okay. Um, you know, who knows what could happen in between now and then, but, but that, I, I that's my best guess. Okay. Yeah. yeah
0: Cause I mean, and typically speaking and i don't know this to be true or not is the is the first harvest of a new vineyard smaller or is it just is it just from then on it's it's a decent size
2: definitely smaller okay. that's that's very typical i would say it, it probably from your first harvest to your kind of full production could you know could be 2 years or it could be up you know 5 years okay depending uh, yeah. on depending on the situation and how you're farming and all that stuff. Okay. that makes well, and, yeah, and not makes all the sense. vines are going to
1: come on, you know, even though they made, it's like a kid maturing and hitting puberty, you know, the, your brother, oh, hit
2: it absolutely. At, you know,
1: at 10, you hit it at 15 and you're like, what the heck? So like, yeah, yeah definitely as the, you know, the years go on, unless you just have the most amazing timed situation, they're always going to be kind of larger. And mm-hmm. as you learn to, you know, as you, you learn the, the, plants themselves like okay this one you know
2: this area is getting this we need to adjust this yeah that's that's a great that's a great way of putting it that's absolutely true um especially in our, our vineyards only three acres at this point it's very densely planted um but being on the side of a hill you have different slopes different aspects we have like three different kind of soil types three or four or and and you have some that uh, the soil holds a lot more water, and some's more rocky. So already you can see that, and the vines have been in there, you know, barely any time. They're all yeah. babies at this point. But yeah, that, and and I think that you zeroed in on it really well, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, because when when the vines are youngest is when they're going to be the most different from each other. The older they get, the deeper the roots go. I would say they they sort of sink up to some degree you're still going to have if you have different soils Mm -hmm. you're going to have vines doing different things in the same vineyard but there's also uh a lot of things i've read where vines you know like trees in a forest and again this goes back to the soil microbes and fungi in particular is vines will actually end up sort of chemically communicating with each other
0: oh yeah i've read, and, I've read about this whereas they've got like that underground network of of like fungi that like
2: yeah myco- like a, mycorrhizal fungi yeah. so the vines are actually physically connected through this like fungal network and can hormonally and nutritionally communicate with each other and kind of exchange so that's why you you also have this thing like and a lot of this it's funny because when you read kind of from one source and direction the scientific observation of something like that and then from another, like anecdotal sources of mostly like european grape growers who've doing things for a long time is that when you if like for example if you plant a field blend of grapes or just two varieties next to each other something is their ripening times and budding times sort of sync up over time which I don't really know to be true, as I have very little experience. But anecdotally, I've heard those stories, uh-huh. and then kind of reading other things explaining why that might be true is really interesting.
0: Yeah, that is very very interesting, and I wonder. I, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to you as your vineyard matures, because that sounds very interesting. Like I, well
1: as as our listeners will kind of know Jacob and I go off on these weird tangents every once in a while so there's a heavy influence of the idea that like you don't actually have a taste preference it's the your gut biome so to me it sounds like as the microbiome establishes on the roots and the other things in the vineyard it's actually directing the plants to do certain things more than possibly the plants based on some of the human science that's coming out of on like certain people's gut biomes where they're seeing these things it's like no it's really just your your gut that influences your taste and there's some people who have you know big weight problems because they basically train that gut biome to expect a certain thing and it has this huge influence on everything else in your body so i wonder how much of that's actually the the vines or purely just the microbiome that develops around it. So I wonder, and like the heavy chemical ones, if they see the same thing, where they basically kill the gut, bi- the biome around it.
2: Absolutely. That I'm <laughs> super excited. You brought that up because that's something I, I love reading about and learning more about. And I've noticed also is a lot of the research that's happening right now for human microbiome is so similar and so kind of analogous to the same thing for agriculture and grapevines in particular. Um, I think it's fascinating. I think it's great. And I think, again, that's another reason for not killing your soil because if you killed your soil, that's none of that is happening. Yeah. And I think the, the analogy between the human gut microbiome, which is more and more seeming to be, you know, So, so, so important to basically all systems of the human body and health and all that. Yeah. that You can think of the soil microbiome as the gut microbiome of grapevines because grapevines – I mean as as is true of a lot of plants, grapevines in particular can really own – like they have a really hard time uptaking a lot of different minerals from the soil by them themselves what what the soil microbiome does is it puts all of these different trace minerals into forms that grapevines can utilize more easily or at all yeah so it's really like the digestive you could think of it as this that exactly is the digestive system of these grapevines and if you eliminate that is not really any chance for them to be as healthy as they could be and on top of that, if you want to talk about terroir and expressing a place, if the grapevines can uptake any of the soil, that – it becomes sort of a non-concept. It doesn't really make any sense at that point. Right, right. Well, you're, or it, you're talking about weather only and not soil.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that that, that makes a lot of sense too because, I, I mean, you and I are from the Bay – well, I'm not from the Bay Area, but I'm from California. And you get that San Francisco sourdough or that dry salami from San Francisco. And yeah. And it it's a very specific taste. And, Absolutely. And it's because right there, there's this there's this uh bacteria that's there that makes the sourdough that sour and makes the salami that taste and Mm -hmm. it's and it's not the same from anywhere else and and i've i've told this to a bunch of people and i'm like no you're wrong the san francisco sourdough is the best sourdough and it's it's got this flavor it's different and when they try it it's they're right it's there they go oh you're right this is different and it's it's the same thing. And this well, actually reminds me, Mason, you remember when I used to do the aquaponics in my mm-hmm. in my garage? It's sort of the same thing is that I had to do a lot of control because plants don't naturally just take up the fish poo and make it into you know, okra or strawberries or whatever I was growing. It It had to – there had to be – I had to make sure that the bacteria was at the right temperature and the right consistency and it had enough surface area and all these different things in order for it to – change the ammonia that the fish were put, putting into the water into uh, nitrogen that the, the plants could consume. And they, they won't do right. it on their own. It's very difficult for them to do it on their own. They have to have the exact right bacteria in their environment in order to be able to get that nutrients.
1: Well, th- this makes me wonder, like, because, you know, most, hey, Ricky, you're using American rootstock, right? Like, Yes. The, yeah, so, like, I wonder, and this is terrible in its own idea but Jacob and I had this conversation a little bit ago um, where a couple shows ago where these vines aren't native to that area so they're an invasive species in its own way you know we my personal opinion is you kind of grow what you can where you can and that's just human nature but like what if you basically poison the soil and then where american rootstock grapes where they originally kind of where we think they kind of evolved that or were or from from what if you brought the micro tried to bring the microbiome from there because that's clearly where these things came from and tried to re-establish it there and see how that changes the the rootstock now obviously i don't really kind of want people to do this i like the idea of terror and experiencing the difference of the areas but that's kind of one of those things to me it's like the ultimate well this is what they need like because that's where they grew up originally and it's
2: yeah kind of a terrible idea but also like interesting it's no it's it's definitely interesting but but i think the the part you're missing is that a lot of the rootstocks, specifically the rootstock. I mean, and I think there's 27 species of grapevines that are native to North America, and some of those, I think, like three to five to seven, are used for the breeding of these rootstock varieties. Mm-hmm. So they have some parentage from several of those, mm-hmm. and two of them, especially the, uh, are are native not only to Texas. Several some of them are native to Texas, but Specifically to the Davis Davis Mountains, I've seen wild grapevines in the Davis Mountains. Oh, really? Which is have where you, I am.
1: Yeah. Have you thought about collecting any of them, just kind of to like clippings, basically, to kind of see what they are? And like, obviously, not for wine production,
2: maybe, but like, no, just uh, experimental. Absolutely. definitely. Um, I I know, and I've talked to some experts at UC Davis about, um. Andy Walker is, is kind of the, the rootstock guru. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he's a UC Davis guy and he's told me a story of, of going to the Davis mountains to look for specimens and see what they are and see what they're doing. Um, and that was very interesting because I I emailed him and asked him, this is the other really cool thing about the wine industry, especially the farming part Mm -hmm. is that, you can. You know, this guy's, you know, a top world expert on this stuff, and I emailed him, cold, cold email, and just he'll respond immediately. And, That's awesome. And give his two cents, which is just really cool. I mean, I, I I've not never met him in person. <laughs> that, that the fact that that is a thing that happens is is awesome. That is and awesome. And very typical of, of the community that Katie and I are both coming becoming a part of. But what I was going to say is that so. I, I did think about that exactly what you said. Oh, I'm gonna go find one and take a cutting and plant it and see just you know, keep it as a pet, basically. Um but a potential issue with that is Pierce's disease. Um American grapevine species are resistant, tolerant of Pierce's disease. Uh Vitis vinifera European grapevines are not. Um so And in the Davis Mountains, there's kind of various ideas. There is definitely Pierce's disease, which is a bacterial disease vectored by insects that kills or injures grapevines basically. Uh That's something from the the southern United States and from warm places. Um, Davis Mountains, it is present. Okay whether or not it's gonna have it's gonna be a problem i I think is remaining to be seen, but because basically American grapevine species can be hosts for that so so taking cutting from that and bringing it into your vineyard would not be probably a great idea
0: okay right. that makes that makes a lot of sense and, and that kind of actually leads me a little bit toward another question I had is I saw that you had. Um outside of your fenced in area, some you know, my family always call them volunteers, but it's not technically a volunteer, but it's just a, kind of a wild one that you're just sort of letting grow out there. Uh yeah. how, how is all that going? Is 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 there so
2: yeah, this this past year, it was the last weekend of planting, so a few weeks after you were there, we planted five vines uh, uphill from where the vineyard is right now, on on kind of a very steep area. Uh And we didn't water them at all
0: Mm
2: -hmm. as a kind of experiment for establishing new vineyards in the future. So what we did so far is we have a water well and a big tank and we use drip irrigation for establishing the grapevines. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to dry farm or near dry farm, meaning no irrigation, in the future once the grapevines are established. But Uh These ones were an experiment of could, is it possible to do that from day one? And so far, all five are alive. Wow. Okay. That's it. Yeah. that's it. So, super interesting. That's so very encouraging.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, it makes, it kind of makes sense because you think about like how long they've been, they've been growing grapes in places like Spain and it, it's very dry there. It's very hot there and they've been able to do it for thousands of years and you know with no with i wouldn't say no problems but they've been able to do it
2: and yeah and and I, this is one of my favorite topics to think about and one of the favorite my like things that I'm most excited to see how it kind of plays out because like i said we get about 15 inches of rain a year which is similar to some places in rioja in spain mm-hmm. so we have similar climate similar, similar rain amounts um and i've talked to some grape growers there on instagram instagram kind of seems to be super good for these sort of things yeah um saying and seeing what they're doing and they're planting and they're just kind of putting all the vines in and i was kind of like you don't you don't have to water them you don't do anything and there's no we just like cross our fingers and hope it rains basically
3: <laughs> okay <laughs> and, if, what?
2: and, and if, it, if it doesn't rain like if you get unlucky you probably don't a lot of them don't make it um and that's i've talked to some guys in California too. Um, who, who do a lot of dry farming, and they say, "Yeah, you just kind of ha- have to." I ask them, you know, they're these kind of guru guys that are sort of, you know, know more about this than anyone.
0: Yeah,
2: and and and, and kind of asking, so what what's the secret? How do you establish these grapevines to be dry farm? And they said, well, "Just don't water them." And a lot of them don't make it, but then you just plant new ones <laughs> like that. That's just there's not really any way around <laughs> it. Um, I mean, that and, makes and, sense. <laughs> yeah, grapevines are extremely robust, but like you know, like anything else, is some of the vines are going to be stronger than others. So the strong ones survive, and then you replace the weak ones.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of. That makes a lot of sense. I, I'm actually drinking a Rioja tonight, yeah, so that's kind nice. of a that's a funny. Actually, Mason, you know this one. I've I, I've talked about it before. Is the El Sacramento? Mm-hmm. That I think is very good. The twenty fifteen yeah. vintage. Very good. But uh I've got a couple more I've got two more questions actually. Mason, do you have any other? Because I don't want to I don't want to monopolize all of Ricky's time.
1: So yeah, I, I agree exactly. So I guess my other question would be is not to dig into obviously your personal situation, but is this is the the thing you do primarily at this point? Like
2: uh emotionally yes <laughs> okay
3: no, okay. I would, yeah. no my yeah, I, I still fine. work
2: full time i okay. still work full time yeah i i still work full time katie still works full time and we live in houston okay. during the oh, week okay. and like recently not as much cuz now the vendors finally planted but for you know the 12 months before this year's planting we were out at the vineyard every Single weekend. I think we missed two weekends in a whole year, mm-hmm. and the vineyard is is five hundred miles away from Houston. Yeah, yeah. I, I it so, is. It's very far away. <laughs> it's, it's it's yeah. It's it's basically that far away from everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So no, I I, I still work full time. Um, and I'm hoping to make the the vineyard and the wine what will be a winery the full-time thing as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. I think if I had to guess right now, it would be, you know, two, two like th- three years away, five years away. It's it's hard to say at this point. And, and I'm not trying to rush it.
0: Right. Um, yeah, exactly. and, because and the
2: thing, having, like... having other money makes it uh, that much easier. Yeah. It's not that it makes it easier. It just allows you to do it the way you actually want instead of, forcing you to make decisions based on money
1: i don't know how you define easier but that sounds like (laughs) easier because
2: you're going like well
1: i'm not selling myself on the side of the road so
2: yeah no i mean
0: (laughs) true it's a it's a one-time thing mason it's a one-time thing (laughs) you just gotta get yeah get over that hump yeah
1: yeah but that (laughs) uh, and and that's the thing is like you know so i I, i'll I'll point out for people who didn't kind of do the quick math in their heads so 500 plus miles at just call it 60 miles an hour. So that's a, what, an hour in 40 minutes per hundred miles. So hadn't missed a weekend, but two in a year. So apparently drove the car into the ground. <laughs> but yeah. like that, if yeah. that doesn't it, tell it's... you passion for, you know, it's it, no offense, but it's not like you bought like, a, like inherited a plot in sonoma and went like well we just got to keep showing up like no. it's sonoma no, like no, we'll do not. good <laughs> yeah you're like hey we're in the chihuahuan desert and yeah uh, we get 15 inches of rain per year where there have been months where we've gotten 15 inches of rain
2: in virginia you know like that's this well, is I mean, a houston we just got you know is- 40 inches of rain in one day basically. oh I, yeah, yeah yeah
1: like that's crazy. i It just keeps happening in Houston. Like, you know, it
3: does
1: (laughs) (laughs) like, and that's the thing is like that, that doesn't tell you the passion of the, like, we're going to
2: try this. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the best way to explain that, because I think sort of what you're pointing towards is that telling people about this, especially before we had any grapevines or a property or anything is people just think you're insane. That they think you're either lying or you're a crazy person. Oh, um, and and now that like the vineyard's there, the grapevines are growing, and, and people have started to follow the kind of story, th- that doesn't happen as much anymore. But the, be- the best way I, I can explain it to people is that if you were doing what we we're doing as a means to an end, you would be incredibly disappointed. Mm-hmm. But the point is there's no end. The point is that I want to do this more than I want to do anything else. Yeah. This is the journey. And yeah, the, is... the journey is the point, absolutely. Yeah. It's like yeah, I, and... I want to go sit out at the vineyard and stare at the sky for two hours. Like that that's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. well, and, yeah. and, and, like, and the selling of the wine and the grapes is really like a byproduct of that. It's, it's just, like you it's have to bonus. at some point make money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and, it's really
1: just the journey. And to me, like this is kind of one of those things where like there's a lot of – and Jacob, Jacob is not this way. Um, but you know, there's so many people in your life who you tell them you're going to go do something like I don't like what I'm doing, and you're like, they're like, well, you make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Why do you keep doing it, or whatever it is? Like even if you don't make that much money, people are like, don't try something new, because what you've yeah. got is working. And you're like, well, if I eat a gun, is it working? Because yeah, I don't no. want to do this anymore. I want to go plant grapes. I want to go, you know bareback you know whatever you're doing like so this is just to me it, like it, that's such a passion that like i've been looking for recently in my life because i've never been that enthused about my work and to hear you talk about that and that like when you said there's a guy who was the guy for grape uh vines i was like yeah i could be his apprentice that's <laughs> yeah. no, so that, cool yeah, yeah. And and I've been trying to figure out ways to live in California like cheap, and I'm like, mm-hmm. well, if I work for UC Davis, maybe they won't take all my money in taxes because I work for the state.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but, you okay. know, Davis uh, is eight. awesome. I yeah. like it, Davis. Oh yeah, Davis is great. Uh, I mean I, I i if it wasn't for the taxes, I'd still live in California. I, I, I do like <laughs> it out there a lot. Um, I I was I was just, just to moved to Monterey recently. So. Yeah. Oh man, and <laughs> I, I love Monterey too. But I I was yeah. I, I was just I was Ricky. I was just up visiting. Well, I was getting this new dog and my sister moved from California to Nebraska, which, mm-hmm. you know, is not. Yeah, your
1: sister moved to Florida and then. And that's right. Nebraska. Yeah, she, she like, moved to Florida. The then, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, I'm up there and I'm like, how, how are you comparing this to California? And she's not, but like, I, every time anybody in my family and I get together, we, that's all we talk about. It's like, oh, let's get back to California. And lately, although I've been telling them, I'm like, look. It's drier. It's a different, it's different, but the Marfa area is beautiful and the yeah. land is cheap and the weather is great. What's wrong with that area? And, you know, granted, it's hard to convince my family that California is not the greatest thing ever. Cause like, you know, only two of us live outside of California, but well, th-
1: well let's right. keep in mind, you're the only one who's a programmer. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you could work remote, or chose to work remote. You could live anywhere as long as you had a stable internet connection. Whereas, you know, your sisters, who's a masseuse for old people or your yeah. sister, who's a server or like, you know, head, whatever your sister lives in Nebraska is like,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, you she's, know, yeah. you need
1: a little bit of a population for their jobs.
0: That's true. That's that, that is true. But okay. So let me get, let me get to my last couple of questions though. Rick, yeah. Cause I don't want, I don't want to take up all of your time. We're a little bit over an hour now. Um, one of, one of my questions was, what do you see the future of Alta Marfa being? So um, do you plan to have like a, a tasting room on site, or are you going to put a tasting room in Marfa, or you know what is your what is your, I guess, grand vision other than staring at the sun for two hours or staring at the sunset for two hours?
2: Um, so we're working right now on figuring out what's the best way to build a winemaking space. I think it will end up being on the property, um, but that that's going to be a place to make wine in, and not a place for a tasting room. Um, I, I I mean, this it's always possible to change your mind, but I I have no interest in having a tasting room. Okay. Really. Um. Just because I don't. Uh. Basic basically being a tourist destination is not part of what I'm trying to do. Got it. Um I the the MARF idea is interesting, like having some kind of storefront or some way to sell wine easily is something that, that could definitely happen in the future. Um just because the the regulations around how you're allowed to sell wine and, and the three tier system and stuff is yeah just kind of absurd and that and that could potentially be very advantageous mm-hmm. to to have your own kind of retail outlet to sell wine or even just a location where people were allowed to pick up wine that they ordered on the internet
3: yeah
2: or something now, J- like that Jacob and I have several business Texas based business
1: ideas about wine just wine and alcohol distribution so Maybe one day we'll be able to help.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: that, I yeah. Would. I mean, she, yeah, the, the whole,
0: the whole three tier system is is to me ludicrous, and uh, I, I've been I've been kind of like mulling over in my head how can I solve this issue, um, because to me it's like I like to buy direct, and fortunately there's been some legislation passed in 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 the last ten years or so that allows uh, direct purchasing but right. there's still the th- three tier system is is ludicrous and even here like Dallas which is like the most Texas of Texas cities or, or you know mm-hmm. up there at least you know probably Houston is the most Texas of Texas city but Dallas Dallas is a, is a, is a Texas city and there's no like no good place to buy Texas wine yeah it's it's bizarre yeah,
2: it's, it's-, it's absolutely bizarre it's a weird system. It's, it's, a, and, and I think at the, at the base of it, you know, there's a whole history and things of why it's that weird. But at, at the base of it, it's definitely is not a system that was designed for the consumer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like that, in absolutely, no way yeah. was it, was it designed for that? And in no way was it designed for the producer, mm-hmm. which is weird because, those are the only two people involved in that transaction. Yeah. yeah. Well, the I producer mean, you, and the consumer. Right. And you're, you have you're, a system designed for a third party, <laughs> which makes no sense.
0: You're, you're on tasting anarchy. So like that, we, yeah, ha, we have yeah. no qualm no with that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like if you voluntarily got up with a
2: distributor, great. It's required. Yeah, no, it, thanks. It, distributors are not the problem. It's the requirement to use distributors is yeah. a problem. Right.
0: Uh, it, that may, I mean, that makes sense. And so, so, the, the tasting room's not not kind of the future. So basically your goal is to produce the best wine that you can possibly produce while also escaping the drudgery of the office life and you know what you know for lack of a better way of putting it, living your best life, like living yeah,
2: a yeah good And I, I guess I forgot to answer the end of the question. but yeah, so so we have 6,000 vines, three acres planted right now. I a couple weeks ago ordered a thousand more vines, so we're gonna plant a thousand more vines next spring. You guys should both come.
3: I'll be there. Uh, This will be be like
2: one day of planting and then some food eating and friend making and all and all of that. So a little less labor and a little more, you know. If I can pull it off, I will. (laughs) It sounds awesome. Definitely, definitely. This is gonna be. It'll be at the end of April, and we'll you guys will be hearing from us soon about details and stuff. But okay. So basically, it's. It, I think over the next, I mean, basically continuously from now on, we, we have probably like, as it things sit now, uh, eight more acres that we could plant, that we'll probably do little by little, um, and then, you know, while we're living in Houston, that has to be done slowly. Once we're out there full time that can happen faster but then i think we'll have add add other kind of pieces to the farm potentially like goats greenhouses vegetables things like that um katie my wife is a chef mm-hmm. so i think there is some future in that direction in terms of food restaurant things
0: that that explains like the Instagram because every time I see your guys Instagram I'm like how on earth are they making food that looks this good because when I make food it kind of looks like crap <laughs> 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 I, yes. I, I see it, it and I'm it like is, oh my gosh this looks good
2: yeah it's it's beautiful it's it's extremely appealing to Instagram, that is for sure. And and to the palate. It, At, is, it is wonderful.
0: Her, if you get around so to I think it, that, ask that's, her uh what what the best way to cook chicken feet is, that's what we're into right now.
2: Chicken feet. I'm a fan of chicken feet for yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. My my wife's Ukrainian, so we always eat interesting things. And chicken mm-hmm. chicken feet's like the thing right now because she was like, Oh, I miss chicken feet. And I was like, Well, let's let's just get it and start making it.
2: Yeah, start doing it it's pretty sure. it's
0: pretty good actually i i it's it's a little bit of work to eat it but it's it's i think it tastes good <laughs> I, I i would have never thought that i would like that mason you know because i don't even eat, i don't even eat chicken on the bone but then yeah. like i get chicken feet and i'm like this is actually really good
2: <laughs> oh yeah i mean and, and it's interesting i think chicken feet revolves around uh basically non-meat animal products yeah and yeah how much you want to eat those and and as as a white person i feel like you know <laughs> in america i feel like that's not something you you're taught how to appreciate you,
0: no and, very very much but, so and i think i'm very lucky that i'm the grandson of a german immigrant or a, a jewish german immigrant from you know world war II time because like he introduced me to things like fish eyeballs and like Gizzards, yeah, like all sorts of weird stuff. Some
2: of these stories, yeah, yeah. yeah, I I think it's something that if if someone can convince you to try enough times, it become it can become very enjoyable. Yeah, I I mean, it
0: is. It really is. It's really actually. We just we made, and it's been it's been so long since I had it. But like liver is liver is so good, and I always forget how much I like it. And tongue too, tongue and liver. I always forget how much I like it, and then when I make it, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, that's right." I forgot how much I like this. It it, it is. It's just so, but it's so different than like the American mainstay right now. Oh, absolutely. Um, and
2: and so yeah, I think so. Food is definitely a part of our our future out there too. So it's it's going to be. I'm excited to see, but I would say in the future is going to be more more vineyards. Uh, we're going to have a winery space that we're going to build in the next couple years. years. Um, the first Altamarfa vineyard, you know, a state vineyard wine will be 2022, 2023 in the next few years. I hope we get to keep making this wine for Marber clay vineyards. Um, and yeah, I think lots of fun stuff.
0: All right. Well, we'll definitely be buying at least a case, whatever's available to us. Uh, we'll be buying it so that we can have it at Childeberg. Uh, which is the the event that Mason and I do in the Austin area, and uh, I've been trying to do you know wine tasting and stuff to introduce people to the wine world from I guess the beer world because that's kind of our uh-huh. our wheelhouse is the beer world, and uh, we're introducing beer people to to the wine world. So my last question though is uh-huh. um, I one thing that I've been I've been meaning to ask you for for ever since I was out there was that you mentioned that you did a a wine that was that was made out of prickly pear, um, or, yeah. or, or the fruit There's from the actually cactus. Some
2: in a in a glass demijohn downstairs in the kitchen right now. Okay. We H- how does we that harvest work? It. What, so so the one I was telling you about was a few years ago, a chef in Marfa gave me, basically went into the desert, found some prickly pear, harvested it, pressed it into juice, and then froze it. And gave me half a gallon of it to bring home. And I, I fermented it and made wine out of it. And it was very tasty, much, much better than I expected going into the process. Okay. Um, so a month or two ago, we harvested like 35 pounds of prickly pear fruit from the property and kind of on the side of the road near the vineyard. And this time, not having a press, we put it through a juicer, Ooh. which. Seems like it maybe was not as good as a press. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> but anyway, we, we kind of juiced all this 35 pounds of prickly pear, put it in a glass demijohn, and let it spontaneously ferment. So we added no yeast or anything else. And it fermented. It's it, The smell is unbelievably strong. It smells great. The color is neon purple. It's crazy but i think due to the juicing process we ended up with all of this kind of like aloe vera like pulp huh. in there okay so when we were we we're going to put it in some bottles we we're pouring it out and it's kind of this like non-newtonian fluid It's like <laughs> okay. a, like it's like non-sticky gel <laughs> slime <laughs> texture which is really weird um so I put half of it – or not half. I put, I put like 60 ounces of it into a jug that I'm just going to like let sit for a while and then depending on how impatient I get, I might try to fortify it with brandy or something. Oh, that would be interesting. Um, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Another option I'm thinking about is trying to turn some into like balsamic vinegar. Huh. OK. Like a, you know, like a, like a, a syrupy, very concentrated vinegar would be cool. Yeah, yeah, um, that would be really cool. And then with the rest of it, we added, um, which Katie is babysitting right now, we added water and sugar to ferment again to see if like a higher alto- alcohol and more fermentation might like dissipate some of that kind of like weird gelatin texture. Um, but I think ultimately it's like if we do if we do it again and once we have a winery in space – and a press i think that could be another product to have is it it was very enjoyable and and yummy and and fun too
0: it is fun and and it's very i mean for lack of a better way of saying it i guess eclectic it it's it's unusual and yes. um and also like a draw like i want any of those the I, yeah. I want I want the vinegar I want the balsamic vinegar I want like the high fortified version I want the re-fermented one with sugar I, I mm-hmm. want all of it just to see what it's like,
2: and it's especially fun to be able to experiment and do all those things for for us and then as a customer like if if another producer is doing things like that I always want to try those things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's fun to do all that experimental fun stuff with something that's free yeah oh absolutely <laughs> like yeah. prickly pear out there is growing all over the place you don't have to do anything to it it's free we can basically get as much as we want at any you know whenever it's right yeah. for free so it's fun to do that with something free so the ones that don't turn out good which is probably most of them yeah you don't feel bad about <laughs>
0: okay well i mean that was like that was my last my last question i i had uh I think we could have you back on, and I could probably ask you about twenty more, but I don't want to monopolize all of your time. And I've got to walk my new dog, uh, Mason. Do you have anything else left that you want to put in?
1: No, I I think we covered everything that. Like this, this has just been
2: fantastic. Like this is super from fun. I'm yeah. to like yeah. <laughs> just the
1: like hearing about the high Texas desert, which. You know, four thousand feet. Like to some people, doesn't sound that that high, but you know, for Texas, that's you know, for most places in the states, that's pretty high. So I mean, no, no, uh,
0: Mason, I mean, he's at he's at fifty five hundred, almost six thousand feet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like this is this is high even by California standards. Like when I the place where I grew up in El Dorado County was at like twenty five hundred feet. It wasn't even that high. And it was the yeah, mount- it, it
2: was like almost the mountains. And, yeah, and you realize immediately when you start walking around, and you're like, "Wow, I'm so tired. I can't breathe." It's 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 a yeah. It's it's
0: it's in it's really interesting. Like I, when you guys do your next event, I'm gonna come out. Hopefully, my motorcycle will be working then. I'm gonna ride my motorcycle out with like my camping gear. But uh, Very nice. it is it is just it. I can't I can't reiterate this enough to the listeners. It is a cool sight. It is. When you know, when we went up afterward and, and went up on that uh, hilltop and just watched the sunset, like, oh yeah, it's a beautiful sight. It's unbelievably mm-hmm. gorgeous. Uh, you you guys are you guys are very fortunate to have found it. And I know that you were telling me about this. Um, you were going kind of around with like the uh, real realtor or whatever, and every site you saw, you were like, eh, you know, not for me. And th- and then you finally got to that site, and you were like, oh, this is it.
2: This is the site. Well, and it's funny because the first time I went there actually to that property, I didn't even get out of the car. Oh, really? I just drove by and it was kind of like, nah, that's not, that's is, but I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't mm-hmm. know, I mean, I didn't know anything. So mm-hmm. we went around for another month or two and then I went back and I got out of the car and I hacked up the hill to that spot that we all went up to. Yeah. And I looked at the view from there and then I changed my mind immediately. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's like, insane views oh it is it yeah you can see mexico from there and it's yeah, just it's yeah.
0: it's crazy like you know i i know obviously you guys want to keep it to yourselves or whatever but if if anybody ever gets a chance to get out there and any anywhere in that range like it it's i've been trying to convince my wife to let me buy property out there because i came out there <laughs> i saw it and i was like I could see us retiring out here because it's it's just so gorgeous and uh, yeah it, it's definitely it's definitely a beautiful area and I think you guys are gonna be producing some absolutely fantastic wines. Uh, just like I don't know a huge amount about wine, but like there's certain things that I know that you should be expecting like the diurnals, the altitude, uh, well the altitude when you're that far south and um, like temperatures and stuff like that even even though even when we were planting, in April, it was comfortable. It wasn't, um, it wasn't ungodly hot or anything like that. Which is, mm-hmm. you know, here in Dallas in April, it was, it was almost 100 degrees. Yeah. So, but out there, it was like it was a very nice. Like, I, I was, I think it was like 75, maybe 80. Yeah. Uh, there yeah. We had we good weather breeze. this year. It was oh, nice. It, it was great. It was, it was beautiful. It was cold at night, but that's good for the grapes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and you guys have just a, a, a really beautiful site. Um, I think that's everything for me, Mason. Uh you wanna do plugs real quick and then we'll end out the episode? Yeah, so you can follow
1: us on Twitter, Tasting Anarchy. On Twitter, you can follow us um tastinganarchy.com. I Jacob, our Instagram is at Tasting Anarchy. That's right. Yep. It is, yeah. So you can taste email us at tastinganarchy at gmail.com. Um, as Jacob mentioned, Childerberg, which is our annual event in Texas, generally in South Central Texas. I'm not sure well, no, it's, exactly it's, how that's described it's, it's, it's Central it's Texas, Austin, yeah. yeah. Um, to me, it's South because that's the South, most Southern <laughs> yeah, I've been right. in Texas, but <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so that's going to be May 23rd through the 26th in Austin. We're going to bookend the Libertarian National Convention this year. Um, Yeah, come out and see us. Yeah. Well, reach out to us. And an then ex- uh, Ricky's got his own plugs, I'm sure.
2: Yep, yep. Go ahead, Ricky. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, altamarfa.com. I write a blog post every few months and put a bunch of pictures up of what we've been doing Um, and write a little bit. Mostly it's pictures, but people can check that out if they're interested in it, and then just uh, Instagram at Altamarfa pretty much.
0: All right. I mean, yeah, that's great. Uh, one <coughs> one more thing I wanted to kind of add in for Childeberg. Um, I've been talking to a couple of producers that in in Texas that I've gotten to know uh, where you're going to have some Texas wine there. I'll probably be doing a tasting for anybody who's interested. Uh, I think there's going to be a limited amount so you have to sign up for it but I have not produce a sign-up sheet yet. So if you're interested in going to Childerburg and you're interested in tasting uh, Texas wines, uh, just keep an eye out on the Childerberg Twitter and I'll be putting putting that out there and then we'll probably have like uh, Eventbrite or something like that. You can sign up for it. Uh, I think that's it. All right. Um,
3: everybody, have a good rough, night and stay, free.
2: Night. stay free.
3: Yeah, yeah down thank you guys so down much. Thank you. Drinking half gallons and calling for more. Drinking wine, spotty, you to drink wine. wine you to drink wine. wine you, to drink, wine. Wine you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Drink it man. Oh, give me some of that slaw. Oh, pass that bottle to me If you want to get along in Peterstown Buy some wine and pass it around the age runs up to 49 All them cats, they love sweet wine Drinking wine's, drink wine. wine's, drink wine. wines for you to drink wine Wines for you to drink wine Wines for you to drink wine Pass that bottle to me Wine, 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 elderberry. Wine, 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 cherry, cherry. Wine, 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 blackberry. Wine, 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 port and sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that that ball to me. Now down on Gilsey at Willie's den, he wasn't selling but American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine He shipped that cat for a dollar and a dime A drink of wine. wine for the yoda drink wine Wine for the yoda drink wine Wine for the yoda drink wine Pass that bottle to me I got a nickel. Have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Somebody's fifth and somebody's fourth. When you get together, you're doing things smart, drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you drink wine. Wine, wine. Pass that ball to me.